So we're going to continue in the book of James, this little letter that we find in the New Testament. Um, chapter 3, 13 through the end, and then chapter 4, 1 through 10, you'll find the words here. You'll find them on the screen in front of you. If you've got it with you, you can follow along that way as well. Before we read it, let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in, in this time, uh, when, we, when we open this book and we read from it, we, we do so in anticipation that you somehow, some way, however it is that, that it works, that you would speak, that we would hear a word from you that you would make yourself known to us again. So startle us, shake us if we need it, and uh, make us new in some way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we continue on in James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Some translations make it Baptist, of the devil. I like better. But anyway. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Think about what causes fights and quarrels among you. What is it? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel, you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or, do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the Spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. <laughs> as, I, as I was thinking about this this morning, 
going over what I what I had to say, I, I realized that this whole this whole thing, this whole trip through through James has been it's been kind of sobering. <laughs> It's been kind of gloomy. Like there's not there's not a lot of happiness that we have. Not a lot of not a lot of happy energy. Um, so sorry about that. Kind of got more of the same today. Uh, not it's not my fault. It's the letter. Like so, listen to what he says. Who is wise and understanding among you? I like this. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it. Act like that's a virtue. Or pretend like that isn't you denying the truth. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and evil practice. He's at it again. He's sort of kind of spitting fire a little bit with those words. But before we, we get too far into those words, let's just... Um, let's just remember what it is that James is doing and remember what we've sort of talked about as we've walked our way through this little ancient letter written, written by this guy named James who may or may not be the brother of Jesus. I kind of like to think that it is. Right? He start, we started off a few weeks ago as he, he sort of tried to wake us up to the reality of the presence of God in our lives. Pay attention to the presence of God in your life. He sort of tried to wake us up to the reality that what we do in here it better make a difference in how we live our lives out there or just all wasting our time here. It's not worth it. What are we doing here? Better make a difference. Pay attention to the gap between the rich and the poor, between those who have and those who, who don't have. Pay attention to the gap between you and other people in this world uh, who are marginalized, pushed aside, who are set aside. Don't show favoritism is what he says. So pay attention to the gap between your own life and the people in this world who are, are marginalized. And then do something about it. Because faith without doing something about it is worthless. It's dead, he says. And then last week, so James, I, I made the, said he's like a trainer, almost like a boxing coach. Like we took it not on the chin, we took it in the mouth. Right, as, as he sort of went after our tongues, warned us that our tongues, the things that we say and the ways in which we say them have the, have the ability to, to burn people, have the ability to, to ruin whole entire communities. Right? And we all recognized, yep, we've been there, we've done that. Like, that's my life. Right? So James has been working us hard, training us to become followers of Jesus, training us to, to be people of integrity, training us to to make sure that our lives are an accurate representation of, of what we say we believe, an accurate representation of the one that we say we love and follow in Jesus, right? But so far, the things he's sort of trained us on are all observable realities. They're all actions. He's, he's, all, he's, he's big on the doing thing, on the working it out thing. But now this morning, James sort of makes this subtle shift. He makes this sudden sort of move that gets more at the root cause of everything, of all of it. James moves to the realities that, that we can't necessarily see, taste, smell, hear, right? Like, like, like you can't necessarily see these things. He moves on to what's on the inside, what's underneath it all, what's, what's the thing behind the thing, the matters of the heart. 
He moves there. Right? So, are we ready to do battle with the things that are inside? I don't know. Maybe we are. Maybe we're not. Let's see. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show up by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't act like that's a virtue. Don't boast about it. Don't deny it either. Such wisdom doesn't come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every evil practice. Envy, bitter envy, selfish ambition. That stuff's in here. That stuff's on the inside. You can't see it. And we could go on and on. We could talk forever about all the little cultural realities that we live in because this is the water in which we swim that teach us that every day of our lives is about is about us to become individuals to just we're willing to go after anything willing to do anything to get ahead we could talk about that right there's nothing wrong with working hard james is all about working hard absolutely he's all about the doing but when it's when it's driven by selfish ambition bitter envy. When that's the thing behind the thing, James warns us that, well, that's where you find disorder. And he says every evil practice. So instead of pointing to all those cultural realities we could talk about, I just want to tell you a story, give you a little, little example. So this comes from uh, NPR. Uh, I like to listen to NPR. Um, I recommend it to you. Um, but it's from a show years ago called This American Life, and this episode was hosted by a, game, by a guy named John Hodgman, who used to work on The Daily Show when John Stewart was the man on The Daily Show. So, so he's a funny, funny guy, but, but also does some really, really good work. So this, this whole episode on NPR was about uh, him walking through some American city streets, and he was just asking people the age-old question, would you rather have the superhero power of invisibility or the superhero power of flight, to fly like Superman? Which, which would you rather have, right? Uh, do you remember asking this question? I still, we still talk about this as a family. Do you, would you like to be Iron Man or, or would you like to be Captain America? This is fun. I always wanted to be like Superman because if you just stay away from kryptonite, you're pretty much invisible, invincible. You could go wherever you want to. You could shoot lasers from your eyes. Who doesn't want to do that? I always wanted to be Superman, right? But here's what turns out that about half the people said they like to be invisible, and the other half said they'd like to fly. So it was kind of even, but here's where it gets interesting. He then asked them the question, what would you do with your newfound power? Nobody else on the planet has any superhero power. It's just you. What would you do with it? Here's where it's interesting. The people who chose invisibility, by the way, if you just Google Hodgman and invisibility, you can find an article or you can actually listen to this on, online. So just Google that later. So the people who chose invisibility said they, they would do things like this. They sneak into movie theaters. Like this afternoon, you don't have to sneak in. You can just show up. It's free. They would steal expensive clothes. Spy on coworkers. Stalk their exes. 
oh my goodness, eavesdrop on conversations that other people are having about them, sneak onto airplanes for free rides. Like, who needs the ability to fly when you can just sneak on an airplane with invisibility and you got two for one, right? So the people who chose the power to fly said they would do things like this. They'd quit riding the bus, they'd give up their cars, they'd go bar, ho bar hopping, hoping to attract a groupie following, because like, that's a cool thing to be able to do. They'd fly off to exotic places. Isn't that interesting? Now, maybe you noticed the same thing that he did. All of those who responded would only use their newfound superhero powers for themselves. Like they would only use their superhero power for their, for their own good. None of them would do their superhero power, use their superhero powers to do superhero things. None of them would fight crime. They didn't say they'd break up the mob or the mafia, if that's still a thing. They weren't going to beat up the bad guys. And none of them even said they'd fly up a tree to save a cat. Nothing like that at all. No one was interested in justice. No one was interested in working for peace. It was all selfish. What would you use your superhero power for? What would I use my superhero power for? I don't know. It's not all that surprising, is it? I don't think it is. You know, this, the book that we use on Sunday, the Bible, you know, there's this story about Adam and Eve that sort of tells a story that, that describes the human condition, right? Adam and Eve, you know, they, they took and ate the fruit because they wanted to, to what? Anybody remember? They want, to, they want to be like God. They wanted, to, they wanted to be like God. And then however it is that it happened, you know, maybe their spiritual genes mutated, I don't know, got passed on to Cain and Abel, and then down to you and me, and we human beings have never been able to get things right. At least, at least not on our own, right? From then, then on bitter envy, selfish ambition have sort of been a part who we are and who we're often taught to be. Sobering news. So, Here's the thing. I try to pay attention to the world. I try to pay attention to things around, you know, what's happening. Um, and we're told that there are all kinds of things that we're supposed to, we're supposed to be afraid of. Right? We're, told, we're often told to live in, in fear. At least the, the people who lead us in the highest levels, they, they kind of want us to be afraid of the other side. We're supposed to be afraid of nuclear war. We're supposed to be afraid of terrorism. We're supposed to be afraid of government takeovers. We're supposed to be afraid of excessive regulation. We're supposed to be afraid of, of who sits on, on the Supreme Court. Um, I was listening to lots of things to be afraid of, lots of things to fear. And then there's, uh, I was listening to the Ezra Klein Show, oh, which is a podcast you can listen to. And... Um, recent shows were about the, the spike in teen anxiety and depression um, and the suicide rates have just gone ever since like 2012. Um, 
that's not fun to hear and not fun to see those trends. And so, so these episodes were sort of trying to, to get at the root of it and like started back in 2012. And the hypothesis is that, that that's about the time when, when most teens were carrying around these pocket computers, uh, these phones, and, and they have the ability to, to connect on social media. So the, the kind of hypothesis is, is, is social media is the thing that is causing teens to live with such high anxiety. And maybe, the, maybe they're right. I don't know. Because you think about what, what social media is, is it's just a, it just heightens our ability. I don't know. Who, who am I to say? I don't know for sure. It, but it seems like it feels like it it heightens our ability to live into bitter envy and selfish ambition, doesn't it? Because what you do, which is, which is the thing behind the thing, the thing underneath the thing, so we fear social media, but what's the root cause? What's below it? Well, it just sort of heightens our ability to live into bitter envy because FOMO is a thing, right? get online, you see all that, you're like, oh my goodness, everybody else's life is so amazing and grand and you know, bitter envy sort of pops up. And then, and then what is selfish ambition? What do we put on? What do we put on social media? Well, we put the best things on there, right? We don't, we don't put the worst things on there. We put the best things on there. And sometimes we use hyperbole when we put the best things on there so we look even better. Right? So the, there might be some things that are, that are to fear, that we're taught to fear, that we're told we have to fear, but what's the thing beneath it? Well, it's the thing that's on the inside, right? That, is, that slowly kills us. It's the things we can't see, taste, hear, touch. Like if you, if you died, you, the doctor couldn't open you up and be like, there's bitter envy and selfish ambition. That's what, I, that's what did it. But it's there. It's here on the inside. Bitter envy, selfish ambition. James essentially calls those things false wisdom, earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. He says it causes conflicts and disputes and unhealthy you know, desires and cravings. True wisdom, he says, on the other hand, is characterized by purity and peacefulness. True wisdom, he says, results in people who are considerate, who are full of mercy, the good fruit, true wisdom brings about a harvest in the lives of others, causes the flourishing in the lives of others. Okay, so what do we do, James? How do we exactly go about changing what's inside? How do we go about changing the heart? And James is full of practical wisdom, so he, he, he sort of lists a bunch of things. You can find all these in chapter 4 if you want to. I'll just list them, self, I'll list them for you. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Lament, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And I this is a long list, and I think all of them, we can sum them up in, into one thing. Maybe. Let's just draw near to God. Why don't we start, let's start there. Draw near to God. In other words, let's start seeing ourselves 
for who we are. We're human beings. We're created beings. You see, bitter envy and selfish ambition are sort of ways that we inflate ourselves. Right? They're ways to sort of puff ourselves up to maybe godlike status. Like we're the center of our own little universe. Look at this beautiful world I'm creating for myself. And James says, don't do it. Don't go there. Right? Instead, draw near to God. Draw near to the divine. So as I was thinking about this, I was thinking back to my seminary days when I was at First Reformed Church in Holland, Michigan, and my teaching pastor was Dan Gillette. Really good guy. And I'll never forget this. this he did this on a Sunday morning. So, so I'm, I'm going in the Wayback Machine, and I'm stealing this from him. So this is his, this is his idea. I kind of like it. So Psalm 34 says this. I will magnify the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I will magnify the Lord at all times. And then he asked the question, how do you magnify the Lord? How do you magnify the Lord? Magnifies to, to enlarge. Magnifies to, is, to, is to make bigger. Right? If you Google it, it's to enlarge in factor and appearance. So how do you magnify, how do you enlarge the Lord? The biggest reality we know of. How do you make bigger the Lord? Well, look at that screen up there. Let's say we wanted to watch a movie together. But we all got in here and we were like, that screen's way too little. We should magnify it. We should make it bigger. We should, can we stretch it? Right? There's nothing we can do to make that bigger. So how do we make it bigger? Well, we'd all have to bring our chairs up. We'd all have to sit a little closer because as you draw near to the screen, it gets bigger. All you have to do is draw near. Magnify the Lord. Draw near to the Lord. You want to rid yourself of selfish ambition? Magnify the Lord. Draw near to the divine. You want to see yourself for who you are? One who's been created? Draw near to God. And I think when we draw near to the divine, I think, I think something happens. So when we draw near to the creator of the universe, is there room for selfish ambition? Like, is there room for puffing ourselves up to godlike status? There's no room for that because now we're in the presence of the creator of the universe. And I think that's the thing that begins to, to change us on the inside. And I think that's one of the reasons why we gather together week after week after week in this place, to draw near to God. And I think our hope is that if we do this week after week after week, our hope is that it will have some sort of cumulative effect 
on our lives and we slowly but surely become more like God wants us to be. God actually transforms us. That's our hope, isn't it? At the beginning, I said James makes this little switch from observable realities to the things that are on the inside. But I think that it's not all that different. Like, I think it's pretty consistent in what he's been saying. Because I think he's already given us ways in which to, to draw near to God. I really do. Humbling ourselves in order to pay attention to the widow and the orphan humbling ourselves to pay attention to the people in this world who have been pushed aside, who've been marginalized, who have been unfairly categorized and placed over there, humbling ourselves and, and going to them and embracing them, I think, is a way to draw near to God. Because I think that's where God is. humbling ourselves by paying attention to our tongues, the things that we say and the ways in which we say them, I think that's a way that we, that we draw near to God because we have the ability to build up, to create new futures, right? to produce fruit in the lives of others. Because I think the funny thing is, is the ways in which we live out our faith, the things that we do in order to live out our faith, if they're connected to Jesus, and if they're connected to the ways and things of Jesus, like grace and love and healing and forgiveness, I think the things that we do to enact and embrace those things, I think they have a funny way of sort of strengthening what we already believe about Jesus and changing what's on the inside. So maybe we should try it for a while. What do you think? Let's pray.